if, if you're excited about what God's doing, shout a big amen for me this morning, okay? Now, we have some incredible things going on. You're going to hear about it at the end of the service today. But right now, I'm going to take this moment, and I'm going to go right into the Word today. And I feel like I have a, a couple of thoughts for you that I believe are instrumental. They are imperative to who we are as a church and, and who we are as Christians and where we're going and what we're doing. Uh, when I was a young man, before I was a Christian, before I found Christ, I felt that there was always something on my life. Now, whether that was to be a pastor, a minister, at that time without knowing Christ, it could have been anything. At that point, my mom just wanted me to have a job. Can I hear an amen? Okay, that was my destiny in her mind, get a job, right? And so, but when you're young and you're growing up, or maybe you don't know Christ, there was something that was on my life. I didn't understand it. You know, the Bible says that the gifts of God are given without repentance. That means that how God made you, that's a gift to you. And so if you're good at something or you enjoy something or you have a passion for something, God gave you that. That belongs to you and it's from the Lord. It doesn't mean that we have to use that for the Lord because it belongs to you. And so I was the same person before I was a Christian in a sense that I was after because of the gifts. So when I was, when I was uh, you know, some of you know my testimony, I had a hard childhood, but even in the moments when it was the toughest, you know I was still a pastor? You know, here I was, the kid who probably had more struggles than all my friends, but whenever my friends uh, were in trouble, they would come to me and talk to me. I remember sitting around, not knowing anything. I was the dumbest, dumbest kid on the block. People were coming to me and asking me questions about their life and their family and their parents and their relationships. And then when somebody would go through something tragic, uh, when someone lost a family member, because that did happen when I was in high school, I knew, knew people that lost uh, family members. They would come to me because for some reason I had the ability to just kind of sit there and let them be who they wanted to be. If they wanted to cry, they could cry. If they wanted to laugh, they could laugh. And I just, there was, that's a gift. And some of you um, have gifts. And you remember before you were a Christian, things just, you, you kind of functioned the same. I hate to say it that way, but I was even good at like throwing events. Uh, but the events that I threw way before I was a Christian, they weren't good events. They were bad events. I look back now and I was like, I'm, I was the kid that everyone's parents warned their child about, right? Like I could throw parties, we threw events, I would throw things. In high school, I would throw parties and lead these, these big, like not, I call it not outreaches, but like big things to raise money for stuff. And, and I always had the ability to just kind of rally and make things happen and make things work. And, and, uh, and then I got saved and I became a Christian. And then years later, I remember just thinking to myself, wow, we're doing conferences, we're having fun, and we're all, all this stuff, but I looked back and I kind of did it while I was in high school before I knew Jesus. Because the gifts of God are given to us without repentance, but they are given to us for a purpose. So even though we have the gifts and they're not, we haven't repented in the sense that we don't know Christ, the gifts were there for a purpose. And one of the things that everyone needs to learn and you will discover in life is that before you ever walked on this planet, before you ever took your first breath, God knew who you were. And God sits up in heaven and he looks down at you. He really does. And he says, and he even sees you in eternity. And he goes, man, John or Pete or, or Linda or, or Susan or whatever your name is, he looks down and he sees you and he wants you at some point in your life 
to meet him so that you can then understand the reason for your purpose, your existence, because it's real. And so even though we don't repent, in other words, even though, even though we have the gifts, our personality, our talents, we have those things, it doesn't mean that God uses them, it just means that they're our gift. And so along the way, we want our gifts and how God made us to fulfill their, their eternal purpose. Now when you look into, into the Old Testament, you read in Psalms and Ecclesiastes, you'll find those verses that I've preached a couple times over the years, but you know the Bible says that God set eternity in your heart. When the Bible says that God set eternity into our hearts, what he means is he set a couple of things. There is a supernatural spirit that lives inside of each one of us. In other words, we're more spiritual in essence than we are natural because the, the body, the physical body will go back to the earth, but the spirit will live on. Because we were spirit before we were body, because God spoke us into existence before we had flesh. And so the God came along and he put his flesh around the spirit. And by the way, that's called incarnation. So he incarnated your destiny into the earth. And the key to your incarnation is his incarnation. In other words, you got to know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, then you can find your purpose. Are you with me so far? Okay. And so what, what happens is when ecclesiology, um, or sorry, Ecclesiastes, when it talks about eternity, it means your spirit. But it also means that inside of you, whether you know Christ or not, people feel that they have a sense of destiny. In this generation, especially, we live in a funny generation right now. Um, I, you know, there's so many things. More and more every day, people talk about the millennials, and some of you are millennials. Many of you are millennials. And um, I realize now millennials are starting to push back a little bit on the stereotypes. But there are... People today, every person that I know believes that they were called to do something even if they don't use the word called because they have eternity in their heart. Eternity always has a purpose. Eternity is meant to do something that is beyond your natural existence. That's why it's called eternity. And so if eternity is in your heart, then your spirit, number one, and number two, once your eternity meets the father of eternity and your gifts and your talents make sense, then God comes along and he places purpose over the top of your eternity. And now your eternity leads to other people's eternity. So your eternity was meant to fulfill the redemptive plan in Christ. Your eternity was meant to serve and, and, to, and to be a part of something so much larger than who you are. Now, I also think, now you know this, but I did spend a lot of years working with youth. And when you're young, there are a few words, and I've joked about this in the past, uh, especially with the youth group. But when you're young, uh, there's a, a few words that you learn. Uh, the first word is generation. Let's pretend that we're a youth group for 30 seconds. I want everyone to say generation. Okay, see... That's like good youth group language right there. Because you're young, so it's a generation. And another word is destiny. Can everybody say destiny? Okay, so destiny. The problem is that when you're almost 50 years old, if I haven't found it by now, I'm a little behind. Okay? Destiny is a word that has a kind of a baggage with it the older that you get. 
So the farther along in life you go, you realize, now wait a minute, when I was young, the pastor preached the, gener- uh, the next generation, and he preached, maybe it's the millennials now, preached destiny and preached purpose. But when you reach 30, when you reach 40, when you reach 50, 60, 70, you wake up and you go, wait a minute, the real eternity that God meant in the Bible was that from the time that I breathed my first natural breath to the time that I find Christ and he incarnates himself into my life to the moment that my eternity begins to make sense. Have I lived my life for God? Not have I filled stadiums. Not do people know my name. Not am I a famous or do I have name ID. Not how many followers do I have on Instagram. But have I lived my life for the Lord Jesus Christ? As I breathe him in, do I breathe him out? Are you with me? As I feel him in my life, do I pour him out into the lives of others? Eternity is not about what you do. Eternity is about who you are. Because if you know who you are, you're going to know what to do. You feel me this morning? So what happens is that Jesus then begins to work. And there's a verse in the Old Testament that I'm going to give you just for a couple of seconds. I have a couple of points. I hope to get to all of them, but I may not. I feel this morning this this incredible sense of urgency on the body. Not just our body, but the body in general. And maybe I just am in intercession probably more than ever for Denver, Colorado, because, you know, I do believe that that God is moving in a sense. There are many salvations taking place across the city. This morning, I don't know how many, I wish we could quantify this, but in the city today, there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of people across the front range who will pray to receive Christ for the first time. It happens every week. Now, do you believe that's a good thing? Right? So the Holy Spirit is moving, but there's an urgency in the sense that when God is moving and you're in a season, then you have to step into the season. So I feel this. There's a verse in the Old Testament that talks about eternity. But it uses a different word. It uses the word exploit. Because eternity equals purpose. Now, the confusing part of this, and I don't want us to miss this this morning, this is not about, about, about whether you feel that you are good enough to fulfill what you feel or what you're gifted to do or what you see in others or how you compare or don't compare. This is just reality. Reality is, our job is to live for Christ all the days of our life and to serve him along the way as is possible and and as it reveals itself to us. People will go for years in the body and never find purpose in the church because they think that an exploit means something that it doesn't. They think that to have eternity and purpose means that our name needs to be associated with an office or a door or a position. My friends, can I tell you that a people who just want to serve, they want to love only God. They want to hate only sin. They want people to be saved. The people who have no agenda, but they do have a, a mix, a makeup, a purpose that they're willing to lay at the altar. Can I tell you that a people willing to just do whatever needs to be done will see things that are extraordinary in their lifetime. 
And we don't look back over our life and go, well, I didn't do exploits. Wait a minute. Yes, you did. Did you, did you, did you love your wife? Did you love your spouse? Did you battle through every single thing that you needed to battle through in your family? Did you do your very best before God to take care of kids? Did you serve your kids? Did you serve the church? Did you witness when the Lord asked you to witness? Did you, did you show up and, and did you read your Bible and, and did you pray to God and give him your heart and tell him that you want to be a part of his kingdom and serve? Did you pour coffee? Those are very important people in the kingdom of God. You know, did you, did you do the parking lot? Did you serve in the youth ministry? Did you help with the kids? Did you, did you, did you hug a person? Did you pray for someone at the altar? Did, did, when somebody was, was lost and they had tears in their eyes, did you hug them, bring them close and tell them that Jesus has got a plan for their life? Don't think that you didn't do exploits. I'm tired of people that, people that say that people who do exploits have to have over 100,000 followers on Instagram. Or they have, to, they have to have a TV show or a movie or, a, or something that's, you know, we, we've walked that path. I got to tell you, exploits is faithfulness. There are more exploits in being faithful than there are in being famous. Come on, somebody. And this is how, this is how the kingdom of God really works. And if, if, if we want to see it, then we got to believe it. So there's this, there's this word in the Old Testament that was first made famous in the King James Bible. Because that's how King James, they, they translated the word. They used the word exploit. So for the rest of the sermon today, I'm actually going to speak only in King James English. Because I don't want any of you to understand me. Okay, no. But the, the, word, the word in the King James today, they, they use other words. But I, I, it's interesting to me that when I look at it, and I've been through every, literally almost every single translation of this word that exists. And I still believe that the word exploit is the best word. And so here's the, here it is. It's in Daniel chapter 32, verse 11. The people that know their God shall be strong and do what? Say it. And do. Now, we could take just that part of the verse. There's another piece in front of it, but I just wanted you to see this. The people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. You could take the entire New Testament and you could whittle it down and put it into one little verse and that could be it. Through the Old Testament into the New Testament, Daniel prophesying to you and me sitting here today, people at the Pearl, people in Denver, people of the Front Range, people of 2017, the people who know their God shall be strong and they shall do exploits. That is eternity in one verse. If you know God, you're going to be strong. If you know who you are in Christ, you're going to be strong. Paul said that when Paul was going through some of the most difficult parts of his life, probably about seven different times in seven different ways, Paul said no in, in, in defending. He said no I know the one whom I serve. I've met so many people in life, I'm not sure sometimes if they even know the one that they serve. Because if you know the one that you serve, if you know him, then your relationship is going to be based on that, 
on that loving and that caring and that going back and forth and the, the tears and the frustration and the joy and the victory because you know him because you're going through it with him. But what happens is, and I think that this was all through the 90s and this was just you know, part of the body, part of the journey, but people figured out they had to serve. So people were serving. But if you serve and you're not cultivating your relationship with the one who brought you eternity, then you're serving from a place that has no well to feed your spirit when you're dry or when you're frustrated or when you're angry or even when you're successful and people start to know your name. Listen to me, I think people need to know the well. They need to know the one they serve when they have success as much as they do when they need failure. Because you, you can go off just as fast with success than you can with failure. So the people that know their God we have to know him. And if we do, we're going to be strong. We're going to be confident. We're going to understand who we are in Christ. Who are you in the Lord Jesus Christ? Not who are you at your job. Not who are you when you're with your friends. Not who are you um, on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday with whatever context you're in. But who are you in the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you know that every one of you have a testimony? Every one of you have a, have, a, have a testimony and a story where Christ has cultivated some language that maybe only you understand because it's between you and him. God takes who you are and he relates to you that way. For me, everything is in broken English with Jesus. What's up, bro? You know, I just come back from my, you know, my little trip, uh, you know, to Hawaii, to my homeland, to my people. And we didn't speak whole English for like, you know, a week and a half where there was no full sentences in my... So, so God speaks to you because of who you are. If you had pain, if you had struggle, he'll speak to you through the pain and the struggle and that becomes the language of love that you begin to understand. And then you're strengthened through that language. But some people, because they don't cultivate their relationship with God, they're trying to learn somebody else's language and live their relationship through them. And then when they're not strengthened, they don't know what to do. They don't understand it. They can't figure it out. So they become frustrated with the church, the body. They become frustrated with God. And they begin to wonder and to question. And they begin to say, I don't think it's real. What wasn't real was where we put our tears. What dirt did our tears fall onto? Some people, I've had people say to me, I have worked uh, uh, blood, sweat, and tears. Blood, sweat, and tears. And whenever I hear that, I think of the cross. And when the blood of Jesus poured out of his body, when the tears and the sweat and the dirt poured out of his body, it landed on the dirt on Calvary below his own feet. And Christ, you know, experientially, positionally with God, I just think when you cried and when you struggled and when you bled and when you sweat, where did the drops fall? Did they fall on Calvary at the feet of Jesus who resurrects us, loves us, and cares for us? Or did they fall on self-confidence? Did they fall on confusion? Did they fall on bitterness and unforgiveness towards another person? Listen, the people who know their God, who really know their God, will be strong. And from that place, you will live a life of faithfulness and you will do exploits for God. Because an exploit isn't just what we think it is. Let me define an exploit for you. An exploit is to make full use of a benefit. Full use of a benefit. Wow, that's a powerful statement because there are a lot of benefits in Christ. Is that true? A lot of benefits. 
but I don't think that we make full use of them. We have a hard time making full use of the free moments and just time to relate to Jesus, but a full use of a benefit, it's an act of courage, a great feat or achievement. But we make the mistake sometimes as, as defining an exploit as if it was like it had to be in front of other people. It had to bring us some attention. Someone has to see it for it to be an exploit. That's not true. Because an act of courage could be a single conversation with your spouse that nobody ever hears. That's an exploit. An exploit could be a a feat or an achievement. Something that you could not have done by yourself, but through God, you were able to see your business grow or heal a relationship in your life. But it's not about us. So a great feat or achievement to fulfill a greater purpose, to be a part of something. That doesn't mean that, that we're constantly, you know, uh, exploits, exploits. I need people. Pe- people do not define your exploits. Jesus defines your exploits. Hard-won success in the face of difficulty or opposition. This is what an exploit is. Christ works through all of these. Every little piece of that definition came from one of the Greek little things in Hebrew. We just pull them all together and we put the words and we, and that's, but nowhere in there do you see an exploit is when other people see something that makes me look really good or increases my platform. And all I'm trying to say today is that Jesus loves you. And if you know Jesus, you're going to be strong. And you're going to do exploits. Some people never get to the strength part. Because their tears fall on the unforgiveness. Their tears fall on the ground of bitterness. Their tears fall on the the path of unforgiveness. But our tears, our blood and our sweat need to fall at the feet of Jesus on Calvary. Because that's where our resurrection power comes from. Resurrection power is real. Resurrection power is something I hope that we can all just continue to experience. But the power of Christ who came out of the grave has the ability for you to incarnate with him and to come out of anything that you're in. You can, whatever you're facing, God's hand is in it and he's going to help you with it. So let me give you seven thoughts. I'm, I promise, no, wrong word. I'm going to give you seven thoughts and I, I may not preach them. I may not get to any of them or I may preach all of them and we leave at three o'clock. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. You can't say that's all I'm saying. Let me give you three, seven, seven thoughts quickly. Number one, an exploit. How do we do it? How does it work? Number one, you make your relationship with Jesus preeminent in your life. Ephesians chapter one, verse six. This is Paul. He says, guys, let us praise God in his glorious grace for the free gift that he gave us in his dear son. We have to always remember, no matter what we're going through, that we put it in front of grace in the sense that grace is the background. Grace is the backdrop of what we are experiencing. And there's a a message that I love or a a picture that I love that comes out of the Old Testament um, and works its way through the New Testament, but the idea that our life stands before a backdrop. And if the backdrop is grace, then no matter what we're doing, we become the picture, we become the, the... object that grace works through whatever we're going through the backdrop is grace 
And anywhere that we turn and we look, and there's this beautiful picture in the Old Testament of a painting and a canvas that has grace and love and struggle. It comes out of the Hebrew, but it's a, it's a powerful thing. But uh, we have to remember that grace always is carrying us. Can I hear an amen? All right, so we just have to remember, it's grace, it's Jesus. Remember our relationship with him. Number two, we have to cultivate how we hear the voice of God. So if you, to understand exploits, you want to make sure that you're hearing the voice of God. Well, the only thing that I can say this morning, here in this context on hearing God's voice, is we have to be aware of what our ear is tuned to. And this takes time, if our, because, because our ear is tuned to what we listen to. So whatever you like, whatever you hear, you become accustomed to that. Um, um, if, you, if you know any, I don't hunt, I'm not a hunter. I like to fly fish, I love the outdoors, but I'm not a, a hunter. But I've been walking through the woods with people who hunt. And you know those, you know those people, where you're walking along and they'll hear a twig somewhere like 300 yards away and they stop and they go, they go hold on. And I, and, and I what are you listening to? Did you hear that twig? I said, no, I'm in the woods. There's, there's, a, there's 10 billion twigs. He says, not like that. Well, like what? Well, that was the weight. Something with weight snapped the twig. See, that was not like a twig falling or a tree breaking. That was snapped. So just, just hold on a second. And they, their, their ear over time has become attuned to their environment. They'll sit while they hunt with their eyes closed, covered in, in camo, and they'll just sit there and they'll listen because they can hear when something... So when I talk about hearing the voice of God, we have to spend enough time with our eyes closed, open, whatever it is, spending time with God so that we become used to God when he speaks. What is our ear tuned to? If our ear is tuned to the news, well, that's depressing, if our ear is tuned to our own voices in our head when we're struggling and we're hurting and we just rehearse over and over again uh, the, the struggle and how we're not going to have our promises fulfilled and we're listening to the report of our own flesh, then that's what we're going to hear. That's what's going to come back. But the more addicted you come to the voice of God, when God's voice becomes normal to you because you sit, you wait, you listen, you get an answer. It took a long time, but maybe you sit, you wait, and then all of a sudden you're addicted to the voice of God. So all I can say is, what is your ear, your spiritual ear tuned to? Because you'll be able to hear his voice and do exploits. Number three, we have to maintain a sense of radical mission. We have to make sure that if we're hearing God's voice, there's a, there's a, there is an eternity in our hearts that, that compels us to a mission. And so we have to maintain that mission in our spirit. The verse that I gave you here comes from when Paul became a Christian, when he found Christ. And uh, he got knocked off of his donkey, so to speak. You've all maybe heard the story. But God spoke to Paul when he was Saul and then changed his name afterwards to represent his mission. But he gets knocked off his donkey, so to speak. There's a bright light and God speaks to him. And he says, who are you? Lord, the Saul asked, he says, well, I'm Jesus. I'm the guy you're persecuting because, because Saul was going around persecuting Christians. But he had eternity in his heart. And he couldn't deny it. He says, I'm the one you're persecuting. And God, Jesus said to him, so get up, go, and I'll tell you what you have to do. There has to be a point in all of our lives where, where radical mission knocks us backwards a little bit. Off, off kilter, off our donkey. We stand up, we go, you know what? Lord, what are you trying to do? And the Lord says, I'm not going to leave you alone. 
because I don't want you to be average. I want you to do exploits. You're never going to escape it. It's never going to go anywhere. You can't stop his voice because if you're a part of the body, you do what the body does. And so here we are. He says, now get up and go. The body of Christ needs a little bit of get up and go. Get up and go. And I'll tell you what to do. But, but because we're not attuned and we're not thinking right, we're sitting here going, tell me what to do first. I'll weigh it out according to my feelings. And then if I want to go and it doesn't cost me too much, I'll, ju- I'll jump in somewhere. He says, no. God says, get up, go. Go. Do it. Move. Act. Pray. Think. Speak. Say something, win somebody, witness to somebody, go on a missions trip, show up and serve, get up and go. Just go, I'll show you. But I can't steer a car that's not moving. And so you've got to go, you've got to move. So we have to maintain a radical sense of mission. Number four, cultivate your relationship with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, this continued relationship with Paul, if you jump down to the bottom here, it'll say, Brother Saul, O Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me, so God sent somebody to him, sent me here so that you may see and be filled. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is that he helps us to see and then to be filled. Because mission, after you go, you need to be filled and you have to see. So you have to make sure that we're cultivating our relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves through you and empowers you to do what God has called you to do. He's your strength. Number five, you face the enemy with faith and courage. Then I'll finish up and read these to you. Number six, you have to look for Timothys to encourage on their journey. Paul learned this when it came to mission he was always looking for someone to pour into and to help. And he sent letters, and they became the Bible. He sent letters to people that he was discipling. But look for Timothy's along the way so that it, it's personal with you and not just platform. And number seven, have the peace of God in the storms of life. If you really want to experience exploits, you've got to have the peace of God. Philippians 4 says... Do not be anxious about anything, but in every single situation that you will ever go through, by prayer and petition, present. By prayer, the three Ps. Prayer, petition, and presentation. Whatever it is, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving in your heart, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding... Now, just in case you don't know what that means, that means no matter what you think or how you feel, the peace is available to you. The peace of God that transcends, goes beyond and above and over your understanding will guard your heart and your mind. And I I just, I wish I could go into the heart and mind because, because we... We, we battle in our mind. We battle in our, our mind, but if you lose your peace, the enemy wants your heart. 
So we've been through this a couple years ago, but, but the, the heart and mind through scripture are found together a few times in the New Testament. And what it means is the heart and mind, the heart and mind, the heart and mind is that we fight here, we battle here, but the real treasure is right here. And so eternity in our heart, he, the enemy wants you to lose eternity, turn your heart because you don't have peace. But there is a peace of God that transcends all that, all of it. So that's where we're going to stop today because I want to pray for you. Can you do me a favor? Can you please stand? Just put your Bibles down and and stand to your feet as we close. And I want you to just uh, close your eyes with me here just for a moment. And then I'm going to have Pastor Asim come and and he's going to tell you a few things you need to know, take the offering, all that. But I want you to do this with me. Close your eyes and, and let me pray. For those of you here this morning who need desperately the peace of God in your heart, And I think this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to me personally. I feel if you need the peace of God in your heart, heads bowed and eyes closed, please. If you need the peace of God, what that tells me is that we need to get a hold of Jesus in a new way, in a fresh way today. If you don't have peace in your heart, you're struggling, you're anxious, you're stressed, stressed out, you're worn out, you don't know what to do, you don't know what's going to happen next. Lift your hand, and and I want to pray for you as we close. Thank you for the hands. Thank you. Keep those hands up just for a minute. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that the peace of God that surpasses their context would come and give them peace. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would lift every heavy burden, every heavy weight off of them today. And that, Father, they would literally feel the presence of Jesus working inside of them, holding them, helping them, loving them. Because it's about you first. Our peace is in you. Our purpose is in you. It's not in a man. It's not in a a building. It's, It's in you. And we're here to just be a part of your kingdom. And so the peace of God, let it rule and reign today, Jesus. Church, pray this with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus. Come on, nice and loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I received this morning the peace of God. And Lord Jesus, I love you with my whole heart. And I'm thankful, come on, that you forgave me for every mistake and today the eternity in my heart says Jesus I belong to you and I give you the praise I will be strong I will know my God and I will do exploits in Jesus name now everybody clap really loud come on clap really really loud and tell Jesus you love him now look ladies and gentlemen